wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. Today, I have Kenzie Taylor, the owner of Kentucky Canine Deer Tracking, and her dog, Leba. Leba. Okay. It's uh, German for love. So, Leba's a Bavarian mountain hound, very small breed used for tracking wounded game there. I chose a Bavarian mountain hound just because I was drugged through too many cornfields on my belly by a big bloodhound, but I wanted a mini bloodhound, if you will. She has definitely changed my life for the better. Leva has been on some pretty amazing tracks with me. Her biggest non-typical find went 213 inches. That was not our most memorable track. Mine and her first season together, we took that deer three miles in a complete circle. That was probably her most impressive track for me because she showed me then that she wanted to do this and she had no quit in her. Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Day. And today I have a really unique guest. Her name is Kenzie Taylor, and she is the owner of Kentucky Canine Deer Tracking. And she actually has with her, her dog, Leba. And together, they track down and help hunters find wounded animals. And Kenzie, nice having you on. Thanks. I really am grateful for this opportunity. Absolutely. Um this is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Actually, I had my buddy Dallas Bodily on a few weeks ago, and we had talked about deer tracking, and I, I set out to find someone that could really educate our listeners, and I knew I had a contact on Facebook, and so it took me a minute to find you, but once I found you, I, I was pretty relentless in, on getting you on here, and I'm glad that you accepted my, my invite, and uh, you have a beautiful dog. Her name is Leba. Tell us about Leba. So Leba is a Bavarian mountain hound. Um, if I remember correctly, the breed originated in Germany. And her breed is actually bred specifically for like hunting in the mountains. Um, okay. Very small breed, of course. And uh, they're used for tracking wounded game there. Okay. Um, I chose a Bavarian mountain hound for myself just because I was drugged through too many cornfields on my belly by a big bloodhound. And I knew I couldn't handle one. Um, but I wanted a mini bloodhound, if you will. And uh, she has definitely changed my life for the better having her around. Yeah. So I've seen in in the past seasons some of your posts about the different bucks that you all have, have tracked and, and helped hunters find. Um, is there, is there any hunt or any deer that comes to mind that you say is like kind of that, a special one for you and Leba? You know, in all honesty, Leba has been on some pretty amazing tracks with me. And even though we have found some pretty big deer, um, her biggest non-typical find went 213 inches. And even though that was a big deer, that was not our most memorable track. Um, okay. probably her, mine and her first season together, um, we tracked for a friend of mine called Spencer Bloodworth and he had shot a doe when he shot this doe. Um, it was muzzleloader season and he actually hit the shoulder and broke it. Um, we took that deer, no joke, three miles in a complete circle on his property 
and she was bleeding the whole way. And long story short, she bled to death and we were able to get that doe for him. And that was probably her most impressive track for me because she she showed me then that she wanted to do this and she had no quit in her. Wow. Three miles. That's on a doe. On a doe. That's my most memorable track too, you know, and yeah. That's the thing is like as a handler, I it's a different ball game, you know. Yeah. So I guess I've got a lot of questions in that regard. Um what like what made you decide that this was something that you wanted to do? To be honest, um I myself wounded a deer. I was shooting at 20 yards on my biggest buck to date. To be honest, um, you know, I did, I went through the motions, I did everything like I was supposed to, but there is such thing I've learned as shooting too heavy an arrow. I uh, went to shoot, he was 20 yards broadside, and right before my arrow made it to him, I was filming, so I had it to slow it down. Right before it made it to him, he started to jump. And when he did, I got straight guts and liver. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, was right. My heart sank immediately and I knew better than to go look for it. So I backed out, called my cousin Andy and I was like, hey, man, I shot a bit the biggest deer for me and uh, I don't know what to do. So long story short, I came back. He and I got to talking about the shot and we, you know, I've deer hunted all my life. I knew better than to go look for the deer right away. So we we're going to let it lay. But he uh, had remembered coming across a guy named Lance Brantley. He owns on track <clears throat> canine big game recovery and uh, gave him a call. And he actually came out to track my deer. So this is how it all started. Okay. Um, so Lance came out and there was no blood, no nothing to follow, you know, and I knew my uh, shot was lethal because uh, my arrow had been like 30 yards up the trail. And we found it and it had like maroon blood. And I was like, well, this is definitely liver. But yeah. um, called him and this is about four hours after the shot. And he brings his dog, his bloodhound Hank out and they track it. And Hank's just following this deer trail. And I'm like, how is he doing this? There's nothing here, you know. And uh, long story short, we jumped the deer. It was still alive. And Lance is like, we need to give this deer more time. And uh, he'll bed up and he's he's hurt because he only went 100 yards and bedded back down. So, okay, we actually left and went on another track with Lance and Henderson. And by the time we came back around, it had been eight hours and uh, not even 50 yards from where we last saw him. He was bedded up and stiff as a board. So, yeah. After after that, Lance couldn't get rid of me, so <laughs> I, I was like a thorn in his side, and he taught me everything he knew over the last several years, and uh, he's basically who got me into tracking, him, okay. him and his dog, Hank, so. Man, that's a that's a very unique story, and I, I can... I can tell you, I know how you feel when, when it comes to wounding a big deer. And uh, actually during muzzleloader season, many, many years ago, I shot a really big buck quartering to me and I should have waited. I should have had more patience, but I shot him quartering too, thinking I was going to get an exit behind the shoulder. And I, he, he ran about 40 yards and bedded down. And so I reloaded my muzzleloader and I just watched him. And I thought he was expired because he quit moving. You know, he didn't do the kicking and everything that they typically do, but he was done. 
And yeah. I climbed down out of my tree stand. And as I was getting closer to the base of the tree, he jumped up and took off running. And I was like, what in the heck? Oh, and so yeah. I, I called my dad and my dad's like, well, let's give him time. And this was on a morning hunt. And about three o'clock in the afternoon, we went to start tracking him. And he had only made it maybe another hundred yards, mm -hmm. but he was still alive and it was real thick. Yeah. And we jumped him, we found his bed. And so we said, well, we're going to give him overnight. And the next morning we actually got to the property line and we tried getting a hold of the people that owned the property beside us that where we were hunting and they wouldn't let us go in and track. And so I know the deer was dead, Yeah, and, but I guess the dog would have helped in that scenario had we gotten permission and uh but i just my heart sunk because it would have been the biggest uh free range whitetail that i'd ever shot and uh yeah. but oh man i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah it's but you know what that's one thing that i've come to realize is when we hunt things are going to go wrong and yeah i think it's we, not if it's when yes absolutely mm -hmm. and, and and I see people talk all the time and they're like, oh, I don't miss or oh, I don't, you know, 100% recovery. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm like, but really, I, you know, I, I tend to question that. But and if they have, I, I'm good. You know, I'm good with it and I'm happy for them. But there's going to come a time. And that's when you and Leba come into play. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what would be your I guess like do's and don'ts. So if, if I shot a deer and the blood trails iffy, what are my do's and don'ts if I wanted to bring in a tracking dog? I'll, uh, I'll run through, I've actually got a lot of information to help with that. Um, I'll start at the very beginning of when the arrow or bullet hits the deer. Okay. Okay. And I'll just start talking about that. So if you are able to see where your arrow or bullet hits the deer. Um, in all honesty, the number one reason why a tracking dog has to come in, and in my experience, is uh, people look for their game too soon. You know, they unknowingly think, oh man, I made a great shot. You know, that, that sucker's got to be laying over here within 100 yards. Yeah. Then they start looking and they don't find it. Well, Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes they do, they make a great shot. The deer didn't go heck even 15 yards from where it was hit. But sometimes you start looking and you jump the deer unknowingly or you push it out of the area and then you're, you know, you don't have anything to follow. Yeah. Um, the number one thing you can do as a hunter, knowing where your shot placement is, is dependent on this too, but, um, is wait less than an hour. I do not recommend, um, even me as a hunter, before I started tracking, you know, there's a rule we have. Um, if I shoot an animal and I see that animal fall and I can see him laying there dead, I'm not touching him for two hours. And even though I know he's laying right there. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I don't because, uh, you know, before um, I've, as a young girl hunting with my dad, you know, Everybody makes a bad shot at some point, right? Absolutely. Um, I've had situations where I've made uh, not ideal shots on deer as a young girl, and we've walked up on them even an hour later, and they're still alive. And I've, you know, I've, I take a lot of pride in making a good shot as best I can. 
yeah, or not at all, just because I don't want to have to walk up on an animal. But as a hunter, um, it kills my soul. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I want to do that animal due diligence and make as best a shot I can. But yeah. things happen, right? Yep, absolutely. So the number one thing you can do is wait. Um, now, going into shot location on the animal, that matters too. Any shoulder shot deer, you need a dog immediately. I do not endorse any shoulder shooting of any kind. I don't care where you're from. Don't do it. It's the biggest mistake you can make as a hunter. Yeah. Granted, I know some Southern folks down in the deep South really like to do it because they break that shoulder down. But when you start hunting more Northern or Western animals that are bigger than what you're hunting body wise, they get a little tougher. Yeah. Um, and plus, I mean, you've got a big vital area Aim for that. Yeah. If you've got that opportunity, aim for it. Um, but usually a dog is required just because if you happen to nick a vein or artery in the shoulder, um, and you have a dog after it immediately, there's a good chance that deer is going to bed down somewhere. And, uh, when you got a dog on it, you can help push that animal to bleed out and it okay. will succumb to injury. That's the whole reason why we say get a dog immediately. Okay. Or, that makes sense. Or if you've got time and you can get one out there and the animal's down, but you can't find it, you know, um, I've had situations where we found deer and with the weapon of the season here in Kentucky, just recently too, um, the hunter was able to finish the animal, you know, okay. um, we found it for him and then he, we left and they did what they had to do so that they didn't let that animal suffer. Right. Um, heart and lung shots. Some people say a minimum of one hour. I would do that if you know for a sh without a shadow of a doubt and you can verify confidently that you straight up ten ringed that thing. An hour is probably okay, but for me, I always wait too. Yeah. Um, that's just cause, because it's a high vascular area with veins and arteries and uh, they're going to bleed typically. Um, a liver shot, minimum of six hours. The liver okay. does a lot of things for the body. It filters the blood and, you know, all those good fun things. So it's definitely got a lot of volume content circulating through there. Um, it's not always, but it is typically a very lethal hit on an animal. Um, but because it's not pumping like the heart or lungs is and stuff with blood, you know, you've got to give it time, let that animal bed up and, uh, Typically, you'll find them pretty close to where you shot them at, and uh, you you don't even need a dog. Okay. Um, you're able to follow a trail, you know. Um, so, gut and stomach. So, I actually kind of broke this into two different categories just for myself from what I've experienced over the last five years. But um, when I say gut and stomach, I'm typically meaning stomach, liver as the general gut and stuff. Okay. But also, too, that includes intestines. So, um, on a stomach hit, you actually want to give an animal 12 hours. Reason being, there's not a lot of blood going through there. Um, this is the nurse side of things coming into play, too. So, on a shot like that, if you know it's a stomach hit, you know, there's typically um, like food or gut material on the arrow. Um, 
you can verify that it's green or sometimes brown. It just depends. But um, you want to give 12 hours because that animal's going to bed up. And as long as nothing messes with it, um, it will get sick. The sep- It'll get septic is what we call it in medical terms. But um, infection will set in. Typically, they'll go to water. Um, not always, but for the majority, they typically go to water because they start getting dehydrated and thirsty and fever okay. sets in. So, and then on intestine, if you straight up center punch an intestinal hit, 12 hours minimum, um, usually this is evidenced by the smell of uh, poop or something on the arrow. And yes, I do smell the arrows to verify at times. And sometimes <laughs> it don't smell like it, but typically the arrow will have um, some fecal material on it it'll have a little bit of fat on it too because there's a lot of fat protecting the intestines um so you know uh if you know it's an intestinal hit if it's a good one 12 hours maybe before you even start to look with or without a dog um but at the same time those shots are the very hardest to find the deer on sometimes even though it's a fatal hit they can live for days or even weeks at a time. Um, yeah. And it, it stinks literally <laughs> because uh, <laughs> it's not, it, it's one of those situations. It's not if the deer dies, but it's typically when, when, so, okay. Yeah. But, um, but that's on what to do after the shot. The first thing you can do, if you know, you made a good shot is just wait a few minutes is not enough, you know, give them an hour or more, depending on where the shot is, you know, um, give that animal proper time to lay up bed down. And typically you'll find them depending on your shot. Okay. What are some don'ts? Like, for example, if I shot a deer that, you know, and I start tracking it, what are some things that if, should I not do if I'm going to bring a dog in that could potentially taint the trail or something like that is that or is that even a thing um it is so most experienced dogs and handlers can work through certain situations um i'll go through some don'ts and then i'll explain more in detail on that but um the first don't i would say is uh don't walk on the blood trail reason being you could accidentally get it on your boots or clothes or something it could brush up on the weeds and stuff some dogs and handlers uh, might mistake that for like evidence from the animal leaving it behind. The dog may be tracking that mistakenly. Um, if you follow a trail, you know, and you think you might need a dog though later, walk just beside it. Don't walk on top of it. Okay. Um, another don't, it's kind of a do and a don't too, but um, go ahead and gain property permission for the tracker and yourself. Um, okay. Go ahead and secure that, whether you need a dog or a tracker or not, go ahead and secure that. You know, um, animals, when they're hit, go, can go pretty far, deer especially. Um, they can go miles depending on the hit. And uh, if you, you want to make sure you have room for that person to work to try and find your animal for you. Um. Don't get in front of the tracker, please. So I'm fortunate because sometimes I have Andy to go along with me, my cousin. Yeah. And uh, his job that he is very good at is talking. 
So he's a very good talker. He's able to keep the tracker or keep the hunters back for me. And he, he can usually give me about 30 yards in between us so okay. that Leba has working room. Um, and what I mean by working room is if she gets off the track, you know, they stay behind me until I radio them to come up further. If she gets off the track, she's really good about resetting herself. So she'll turn herself around and go back to where she last smelled what she was after and then start working a different direction. Okay. Um, but if a hunter gets in front of the tracker, you know, if they've mistakenly stepped on some scent or blood or anything, they could track that up and Leba or any other dog could accidentally mistake that for as uh, confidence and evidence that the deer went this way. Yeah. And then it might, it might just delay staying on the proper trail. Um, here's another don't. If you talk to a tracker and you agree with them for them to come out and work for you, don't call another tracker. Okay. It's a very close-knit system. Um, we all talk with each other, you know, and uh, it's it's difficult because, you know, we're taking time out of our day or whatever we may be doing to come help you find your animal. And, uh, you know, somebody else may push another hunter back if they have to because you might be close or something but typically if you agree on something we take that as a handshake and we take it seriously yeah um so don't don't call another tracker if you've already got one coming um give them the respect you would probably want if you were coming to work for somebody and let them come and do their job for you absolutely now what um what are some things that Leba keys in on? Like, how does she track? Is she tracking blood? Is she tracking scent from that specific animal? Like what? Cause I've been told various things and I even mentioned that in a, a previous podcast. And I was like, I probably should have waited to find out if that was true or not. So <laughs> fill us in. <laughs> so, surprisingly, there's a lot of different things a dog tracks whenever it comes to tracking of any sort. Um, even man trailing, this is something I've learned, you know, getting involved with tracking, but, um, for the hunting side of things, <clears throat> when a dog is tracking, they, a experienced dog is able to key in on that specific deer, for example. Okay. We haven't tracked anything else. We've only tracked a deer. So this is why I keep referring deer, but, um, if you ever get a chance and I'll, I can actually send you some photos here when we get off. Um, I'm not technologically completely savvy. So, but, um, deer, when they're wounded, they release pheromones. The way they do this is in between their hooves is a hole. That hole has like a waxy substance that comes out. And typically when there's no blood or scent of that nature to follow, a dog is able to differentiate between this deer and that deer that this is the one that's hurt. Okay. Um, it's called the interdigital gland, but I'll send a photo for yeah. you to look at it later. But um, an experienced dog is able to track that when there's no blood available or anything like that. Another thing is, uh, say say you're hunting and that deer is the only one in the area when you go to shoot. When a deer runs through the woods, you know, they're leaving behind fur, dander, hair, and they brush up on grass or uh you know, little saplings, anything like that. And uh, a dog's able to know for sure that not only is it this deer I'm after, 
but you know, uh, <clears throat> they run through the grass where they swished and broke the grass. You know, they can tell it releases a special scent. You know that it was disturbed, and the dog can tell. Oh, it went this way for sure. Okay, uh, and they can follow that line more closely. Um, damp areas are the best, just because water actually helps keep the scent kind of fresh when it dries out. Um, it's hard for the dog to follow just because uh, it's not kept uh, recurring, if you will. Yeah. Uh, rain, especially, we're not afraid to track in unless it's like a complete monsoon because right. then it probably could wash it away. But a little bit of rain or damp, that's not a problem. That actually makes tracking conditions better. Okay. So they that's pretty awesome because when you think of blood blood trailing or, you know, a, a bloodhound, you think, okay, they're just tracking blood, but they're keying in on not just the animal, but you, you mentioned disturbances in the ground, the grass. It's, it's kind of like a, a very unique more system. more of a forensic way. Yeah, there you go. Forensics. <laughs> that's what uh, I was looking for. So Yeah, because like they're, uh, you know, there's a lot of things involved besides blood or hair. You know, it's, there's a lot involved um, that a dog can follow a deer, a deer's trail on when they're wounded. Yeah. Now, if, uh, say, for example, um, you, you get a call, you agree you're going to come out and, and trail a deer, y'all get on the trail, you find the deer, it's dead. Is there a, like, do you let Leba go to the animal? Do you pull her off? Like, is there a, is there a timeline for her to, like, basically enjoy her, like, job well done? Yeah, so when I trained Leva, um, I started with, long story short, as a puppy, started with like uh, liver at the end as the reward. I've taught her that at the end of every track, if she finds the animal, that's hers for a little bit. Okay. She can eat and chew on it. Um, she's a dog. She loves to eat deer meat, but who doesn't? Um, right. You know, and I always tell the hunter up front, you know, when we find your deer, I won't let her near the head or anything that you would want to mount, but um, it's hers for a little bit. And I do warn them too, with her getting older, she, um, that is her prize at the end is the deer. Um, so I tell them, you know, don't pet her, don't do anything like that. Um, let her have it for a little bit and then I'll pull her off and you can have your animal. So. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, and you know, honestly, they wouldn't have it if it wasn't for her. So I think they should let her have it for a little while. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've never had a person that said no to that because they completely understand, thankfully, that um, that's what she's after, you know, and he, she gets a little bit of the prize, too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I love it. Now, what do you do with Leba in the off season to kind of keep her senses sharp? Or is that even a thing? So it is. Um, there's there's a lot of different trackers out there who believe differently in different things. Um, me, I'm still learning, you know, this is my fifth year, but I'm still very, uh, wet around the ears, if you will. I'm still very fresh into this, but, I, I, I research a lot, you know, I have one of those OCD personalities. <laughs> so I've got several books over here from like Europe and all these different things that I've been reading on. But, um, in the off season, I actually run practice tracks with her. Um, I follow the United Blood Trackers testing strategies that they do when they go to certify a dog. Um, and Leba, she has two out of three certifications and 
you know, real quick, you don't have to have a certified dog to have a tracking dog, but it's kind of like a way to show how much effort and time you've spent together and kind of like how good your dog is in a way. But um, it just helps me show hunters that, you know, I work with her and we've got our level two certification right now. And, uh, you know, I just, it's just something that I think they would appreciate to know. Um, but you don't have to have that. One of the best tracking dogs I know in the country doesn't have any UBT certifications. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just something I like to do, but, um, I lay practice lines for Leba in the off season. Um, we do a lot of hiking, stuff like that, you know, but, um, these practice tracks, I actually use the hooves and hide and blood of deer that I know were wounded for a little bit. I do that because I have these special tracking shoes. When I lay the track down, you know, I've got the hooves and the shoes to, to try to help leave some of that scent out. Um, I drop a little bit of blood along the trail. I don't use a whole lot. I don't even use an ounce, I don't think. But um, I usually lay that out, let them age anywhere from eight, eight hours to over a 24 hour period just to try to keep her in tune. And, you know, um, in my opinion, you don't get better at basketball by playing only when season's in, you know, you practice year round. Right. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. Um, some individuals think you don't need to just because, um, some dogs might end up tracking you and not the actual scent line, which I don't disagree that a dog, could smell that but at the same time it's just kind of like a good conditioning for us yeah so that's just what we do in the off season typically just try to stay in in tune as best we can okay fair enough and uh so far this season uh because kentucky's hunting season's in now um how many has leave how many tracks has leba been on i actually keep like an excel spreadsheet to try and keep up with this just because i want to know what kind of track we went on and you know stuff like that for the season so far, we have been on 13 tracks. Majority of them, I've had only one that was a crossbow hunt uh, for an elderly man, but um, everything else has been compound archery. Okay. That's the season that's in. So far, you know, I'm not I'm not going to talk about statistics um, yeah. just because there's a lot of misconception about the statistic part of things. I like to keep up with it just because um, I feel like it's good for me to – figure out what we did well with and what we might need to improve on. And I keep up with a bunch of different stuff, but um, some people like to throw statistics around and um, that's fine. But some people also, you know, some trackers do something called screening calls where they won't take a certain track unless they know that it's a pretty fatal hit. Um, I don't do that. I take any call I I'm able to, um, you know, if it's a high back hit, a shoulder hit, I'll still go on it just as I would a gut shot or a straight up double lung, you know? Okay. Um, so there, you know, some people like to throw statistics around on my dog can do this. My dog can do that, but, um, there's a lot more involved and it's kind of, it, they may be telling the truth, but at the same time, they're not telling the whole story. Right. I, I don't like to talk about statistics in that aspect. Um, but I do like to point out that on average, uh, nationally anywhere you're at a good dog that um can track and has experience will be anywhere from about 40 to 45 percent on recovery give or take that five percent okay as long as you're not screening calls um 
So that's just something I like to keep a roundabout at right now. Um, you know, we still have quite a bit of the season to go. So, um, towards the end, I'll have more of an accurate number for me and Leba on how we're doing this season, but, um, I can't complain on her performance. So, right. Well, and I think a lot plays into it, whether or not the animal is fatally hit too. Right. So, and, and if you're only taking fatal hit tracks, your, your number is going to be higher. So, right. um, but also that's probably one of the good things about bringing in a dog is bringing in a dog could help the hunter know whether or not that animal is dead or actually still alive. And so they can right. continue to hunt that animal or either you find it or you don't. But, um, I'd say you probably have quite a few tracks that end up in a live deer as well, right? Um, we do. And a lot of that for us is dependent upon the shot itself. If it mm-hmm. was a fatal hit or not. Um, I have, I have actually so far the craziest track I've had is, a uh, on a double lung deer that we just tracked it the other day for, um, a, a boy from Florida, but, uh, he double lung the deer. He made a great shot, but uh, six hours after the shot, when me and Leba came out, the deer is still alive. Oh my we goodness! Actually, I know it blew my mind, but um, because I mean, this thing had a straight up perfect triangle. It had a hole the size of your palm. I, it blew my mind. But they're tough animals, and their will to live is actually very strong. Yeah. Um. But we came in and we jumped the deer and uh, we caught up to it about three times. And that last time, uh, you know, I waited for the hunter to catch up with me because we took it 0.7 of a mile. And uh, when we did that, uh, the deer actually bled to death um, because the arrow was actually broke off in the deer and uh, he he died from the injury. Okay. Uh, He probably would have been dead in a the first bed we found him in. But the reason we came out was there was no blood to follow for the hunter. Okay. Um, there was like a few spots along the track in the beginning where the deer had stood. But then after that, um, he, he had nothing to go off of. They couldn't find anything. And then that's when they called us out. Um, Leba found a few spots with blood, but for the most part, there, there wasn't like a trail to follow that you could see clearly with your eyes. Um, yeah. But Sometimes, too, um, we'll go on a track and Leba will, she will appease me and work for me. But going off her body language and how she acts towards me, I can tell if uh, she thinks she can find the deer or not. Or if it's alive, you know, in that nature. Um, Sometimes she'll go out there and she'll be working. And typically when she's working, she makes this grunt noise like a pig. Um, And what it is. Yeah, she sounds like a little pig. It's kind of (laughs) cute. But what it is, is like she's trying to build up that smell that she's after in her nose. And she's really digging for it, if you will. Um, She has this focused uh, body language about her. I don't know how to explain it. Um, It's just something I've learned with her ever since I got her. And uh, that's something with tracking is you learn each other. But um, she'll be working and then sometimes she'll just kind of like meander around and she's checking things but um if she doesn't smell anything in that area typically i take her to a different area see if she picks up on anything and sometimes that's all you need to do um, yeah is just move them around we do something called a, a clover pattern where 
we'll start where the hunter said the deer was hit and I'll, we'll kind of like cast out in a direction. If she doesn't pick up anything, come back, you know, go a different direction. We just do this uh, repeatedly until we pick up on something if we can. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we go from there. So sweet. That's pretty cool. I like how like very in depth you are with your recording and just, you know, how you said you're, you're a, constantly learning and you're constantly you know talking with other trackers you're a part of the united blood trackers and yeah. you know it's you're networking with everyone and, and keeping her skills sharp your skills sharp and that's uh that's awesome now what i guess um is there a like a, a set price or a cost for a tracker or is that something that's determined based on the length of the track or how does that work um that depends on the tracker in all honesty um some people charge i i myself charge just because you know i take off from being a, a nurse uh, a travel nurse and stuff and any money i make leave a hush any money <laughs> i make there's a there's literally a deer outside the window and she's like letting him know this is her spot right but um it's a fawn but um you know i do charge typically i charge a pretty low rate just because i want to be compensated for if i'm going to be there maybe an hour or you know six hours you know i'm going to work for you i want to yeah. find it just as bad as you do and uh but some people you know they they do this um for different means and stuff. And, you know, that's fine too. But I mean, typically when a hunter needs to call a tracker, they need to ask them that, yeah. you know, do you charge? What do you charge? And stuff like that. Um, yeah. Just because what I charge may not be what somebody else is charging, you know? Right. And um, for me, I just want to be compensated for travel time and fuel, especially with it being crazy right now. And then, yeah. uh, you know, any extra money from that, that I make, it all goes to Leba. You know, she yep. pays her own vet bill. She buys her own dog food. Any gear she needs, she pays for it. So that's great. Now, what yeah. type of gear? Um, I I see your Onyx hat there, so I'm sure you use that, and, and that helps in your tracking and and whatnot. But what type of gear does uh, as far as the dog or Leba? What what would she need? Um, everybody's a little different. For me and Leba, when she goes on a track. I actually have a GPS collar on her. Okay. It is a FI, FI GPS collar. It's not a Garmin or anything like that. I didn't want to pay for something like that. And in all honesty, I don't know how to work them. I haven't took the time invested to learn how to work them. Um, but that FI collar, it's a hundred bucks a year. And I can, you know, see where she's at at all times. It has like a three week battery life on it. I use nice. it year round. Yeah. If she was to ever get away from me somehow, there's a option through their app on my phone um, called lost dog. And it will ping like every two seconds, just like a Garmin or anything would. Okay. So um, I use it just because uh, the battery life on it and then the affordability of it too. Um, something I have Leba trained with is a sport dog brand shock collar. Yep. Um, I didn't have a shock collar on her in the beginning just because we were learning and I'm not an experienced dog trainer of any kind. Um, but as a handler, you know, I was like, you know, if she gets away, I need a way to recall her and yeah. her confidently 
will come back to me. So we worked with a shock collar for a little bit and uh, she wears that and all I have to do is make a beep. She's going to come right back to me. And typically she'll come back and uh, she'll stop about five feet from me and then I'll tell her, okay. And then she'll go back to tracking um, okay. in case she gets, she breaks free from my hand of the lead. Um, but that's something she wears. And then uh, in the summertime, she's wearing a rough wear dog harness. It's like a, it's like a triple clip on so that she can't get out of it. Yeah. Um, sometimes if she really wants the deer, she'll fight me to go get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, just so she don't slip out, but I've got that on her. And then uh, in the winter time, she has a, a bigger harness and that's probably the one you've seen with her in the, it has Kentucky canine deer yeah. tracking on it. it says, let's go Brandon or found it, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, she wears that in the winter time. It protects her from the briars and stuff yeah. during that time of year. Um, but that's really all she wears when it comes to tracking. So yeah. nice. Have you thought about maybe putting like a GoPro harness on and kind of s- watching her work that way? You know, I have, and it would be super cool to do, but I've also realized that dog can go just about anywhere. Yeah. And I don't know if the GoPro would make it or if I'd even get <laughs> any kind of good footage. <laughs> I can see you're going under a bush or a, a low hanging tree of some sort that fell over and knocking that thing back. And, yeah. you know, it'd be a lost cause. But um, I actually need to get into it more. But um, I typically wear a, a GoPro on my chest. Okay. So you can see from my point of view of yep. her working and stuff like that. And, uh, I haven't been doing it lately just because I like to do it in the daytime because you can see everything then. Yeah. Um, and nighttime's a little different story because you got to have a really good headlamp to catch like the full area. Um, yeah. And actually just got them in the other day and they're on charge right now, but uh, I'm hoping to actually get more into that to record okay. at night. Nice. Very good. Well, Kenzie, I really appreciate you being on today and I've learned a lot which I appreciate. And I know our listeners do as well. And if, um, if someone like, is there, I guess maybe they could just go to like a local Facebook page or go to a Facebook and look for like local trackers, or is this, is there a website that people like uh, with a network of trackers on it? Um, that depends on the state you're in. Kentucky doesn't have a deer tracking network, but I typically tell people if you get a hold of me and I can't make it to you, um, we have a group chat going on for the state of Kentucky. And uh, if you just send me your information, uh, there's people all over the state. We'll put it in a group message. And if somebody can get to you, they'll contact you. Okay. Um, other states, there are pages like Illinois. They have a deer tracking network. Uh, Michigan does stuff like that. Um, you can find it on Facebook. Another good resource. If you go to United blood trackers website, yep. they actually have a find a tracker map. So anybody that has been UBT certified, um, you can click on the map in your state that you can track in and uh, it'll give you a list of people and where they're at. And that helps too. Awesome. Awesome. So. Now, as an avid hunter, I have to ask you, and I ask everyone this, if you could I got hunt, a feeling of what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. If you could hunt anywhere in the world, where oh, would you go no. and what would you hunt? You know... My dream hunt of my entire lifetime, I want to go to Alaska. I want to shoot a grizzly bear with my bow. That is my dream hunt. 
That would be fun. That would be probably one of the most adrenaline packed hunts. Exactly that. And then uh, all I really have to worry about is running faster than whoever's with me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Really scary. (laughs) Yes. Wow. So like Tim Wells, I've seen his video where he shoots that grizzly right between the eyes with his bow. Um, Fred Eichler with his recurve. He -hmm. shot one like standing, but I just like, I want to go grizzly hunting. I absolutely do. And uh, I just, I can't imagine the adrenaline that would be running through your body when that happens. That would be scary for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine. Um, but hopefully one day I can. <laughs> yeah. So. I think, but, yeah. I think you'll get there and, uh, I'll be cheering you on all along the way. So Thank you. Kenzie, thanks again. And thanks to Leba for even joining us and, uh, gracing us with uh, letting us know the dog was out th- or the deer was out there. That was, oh, that was yeah, funny. No, she, yeah. She's definitely a window watcher. Yep. She's a beautiful dog. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. Well, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you specifically, uh, Kentucky hunters, or if anyone just had other additional questions for you on social media, how would they get a hold of you? Um, I have a Instagram and a Facebook page dedicated to Kentucky canine deer tracking. Um, my cell phone number's on there, my email, you can private message me through the page, anything like that. Um, you can reach me by, you can go to the website, my info's there to contact me. Um, just any, anything you can think of, I've tried to cover. So, uh, as long as you search, uh, Kentucky canine deer tracking, uh, you should be able to find something. So. Perfect. I like it. And if anybody has any questions that they can't get a hold of Kenzie, just let me know and I'll reach out to her as well. And uh, to all of our listeners, we thank you for your support. Keep hunting and keep doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com.